Whoa. <laughs> that was like camping. That was intense. Hello again and welcome back to another podcast called Out of the Saddle, uh, presented by Healthy Scoop. Uh, today is going to be one of the, uh, probably one of our favourite uh, podcasts of all time, and actually many of our listeners, one of our favourite all time, uh, what would you call them, Chuck, what would you call them? I don't know, you see, a legend? I would, call, I would I'd like to say a legend, <laughs> yeah, even though... At the moment, he doesn't particularly race a bike. He would have to be the legend of cycling. Actually, hasn't he got his own nickname? What do they call him? They call him the voice of cycling. Mr. Phil Liggett. So we're lucky enough today to have a conversation with Phil. He's over in uh, London at the moment, and he's going to... uh, have a quick chat with Chuck and I about the uh, ins and outs of bike racing, um, where he started from, how far cycling's come from, you know, back in his day to where he thinks it's going to go in the future, and uh, yeah, basically we're just going to flap gums. Yeah, and 50 years, almost 50 years in the sport, that's that's unbelievable, that's a long time. That's a long time to do anything. Mate, and I thought I was old. And he's literally been doing the sport longer than I've been alive. So, yeah, that's that shows the quality and, you know, how good he is at his job. He's been in the sport for 50 years. That's un- Yeah, it's unbelievable. Right, oh, should, we, uh, should we try and ring him? Give him a ring on the old telly. The old blower. We're ringing. Hi, Greg. Phil, how are you? Gotcha. <laughs> Terrific. Brilliant, yeah. mate. I'm yeah. so, so thankful that you could accept our call and, and be part of uh, my new my new podcast called Out of the Saddle. I'm sitting here with a good friend of mine, an ex-teammate called Chuck Coyle. Nice to meet you. Oh, yes. Thanks. Thanks so much for taking the time. Good to speak to you, Chuck. Yeah, you as well. Actually, before we get started, what's the weather like? Oh, man. sorry. Well, we're in uh, Boulder, Colorado, so we're. Uh, That's right. Yeah, right now we're just we're in the uh, mid mid sixties. So, do you know that? Nice. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means in <clears throat> in uh, Celsius, mate? <laughs> yeah, that would be about um, about eighteen, is it? Yeah, round about there. Rough enough. Seventeen, eighteen. I'm still yeah. I'm still trying yeah. to learn it. I get confused. <laughs> It's 60 degrees well, outside. I work for NBC, don't forget. Oh, yeah, it's true. It's true. So uh, thank you very much for, for taking the call, uh, Phil. We no, just, it's good news. We just wanted to have a quick chat. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously, it, we, don't, we won't have the time to go through uh, your whole career. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just want to touch on a few points and, uh, and see what you're up to yeah. these days. Cool. 
So um, I was just doing a, a little bit of research on you and um, what, been in the sport for nearly what, 47 years now? Oh my goodness, well, I, yeah, I, um, I started being a, being a journalist in 1967 and a TV commentator in 1978, so whatever that is, yeah, That's... 30, 39 years, isn't it, as a commentator. But you were offered a, um, a professional contract at one stage, is that correct? Yes, you're very lucky I didn't get it. I'd have probably beaten you, but I doubt so somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was over in Belgium. I lived in Belgium. Uh, and I was, that, the whole point was I gave up my job in England to go and try and be a cyclist. Got a contract. It would not have been a great one like the current contracts, of course. This is back in 1966. And uh, I was racing when Eddie Merckx was still in the bunches with me as an amateur. Oh, and that guy was untouchable. You would have kicked his ass, so, wouldn't you? Well, I would have liked to have done, even if it was only to steal his girlfriend, because he <laughs> married her, but she was a good-looking girl. And in fact, as I once told him later on, uh, it's the only good-looking girl I've ever seen coming out of Belgium. Um, <laughs> but uh, he used to drive around in a Ford Mustang and keep his bike in the boot of the car when he was uh, an amateur. I mean, the guy was already a superstar. Right. And so... I didn't know him at all. I only raced against him on those occasions. But the years to follow when I became a TV commentator, I interviewed him at his home. And, uh, and I said, you realize, Eddie, you, you ruined my professional career. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, because I, I couldn't beat you, so there was absolutely no point in me turning professional. And he just smiled as he, as he always does and shrugs his shoulders and he goes, well, he said, I was, I was very good. And I said, yes, you were too good. But um, so that we've become good friends since. But that was the reason I never turned pro. And uh, he probably, with hindsight, of course, he probably you know, that was the that. only decision. He's but, sorry, I'm just telling He probably could have said that. Uh, he probably could have said, well, maybe nobody should have turned pro because nobody could beat him. <laughs> Eddie would, would, it wouldn't surprise him if Eddie said that because he wasn't, uh, he wasn't conceited, but he knew exactly what he had and how good he was. And um, we often had these conversations in the years to follow at different functions. Uh, actually, when he, I, I did race against him in South Africa, um, it would be about, about eight years ago, maybe, maybe 10 now. Time flies. He rode this Cape Argus pick and pay cycle tour, which has 38,000 cyclists. Yes, yes. And I, I met him at a function, and I, I didn't even know he was coming to South Africa, and he was there. He, brought over by the guy who owns Quickstep, who's got a farm out there. And uh, I said to Eddie, um, are you riding, Eddie? He said, yeah. And he was huge. He put on so much weight. I said, I'm riding as well. I bet you 50 rand that I beat you. 50, and he looked at me. 50 go, grand? 50 rand. No, 50 rand. <laughs> South African rand. Blum. Now, uh, I'll just tell you how much that is. I've got the machine in front of me, actually. I'm just working some rands out. That's two pounds seventy-six pence. You That's about three and a half dollars. Right, yeah, three and a half dollars. It was worth a lot more uh, at the time. And so I said to Eddie, "I'll bet you fifty rand." And he goes, uh, "You beat me." I said, "Yeah." And he says, "Okay, you're on." We shook hands, and I didn't see the results for another three or four days. Eddie had gone back to Belgium, and I did beat him because um, we weren't in the same groups. And so for the next two years. <laughs> I tried to get my 50 rand. <laughs> and what happened was that I, I was with a journalist again in South Africa saying, 
I can't wait for tomorrow. I'm having lunch with Eddie Merckx. I can't wait to meet the guy. I'm doing a story on him. I said, brilliant. Tell him he owes me 50 rand. Well, I saw the journalist a week after that. I said, how did you interview with Eddie go? He said, oh, he gave me 50 rand for you. I said, what? Yeah. And I'm looking at it as we talk. It's still folded up the way he gave it me. And written on the note is double or quits, Eddie. Oh. Uh, but since then, Eddie got a bit fit, a bit fitter, so I've never taken him up on the return bout. Yeah, but that that was the story. And Eddie was the reason I never turned pro. And that decision not to sign the contract, honestly, in all the years I've lived, is the only decision in business I have ever made. Because I was asked to be a journalist, I was asked to um, to be a radio reporter, I was asked to work in television, and so it's gone on. I've never actually requested a job in TV in my life or anything else. So never, I've never made any other decision in my whole life apart from that one thing. So um, what you mean by that is people approached you, please can you yeah. do this, um, you know? Yes, it was because I was sort of, uh, you know, I was a pioneer really because, you know, I was, I was organizing Tour of Britain Milk Race, which was a 12-day race. So I got 22 years practice on organizing the equivalent of a grand tour, yeah. totally from organizing the police to the riders to arranging the finishes, the routes, etc. Then up, during that period, I became an A-class international commissaire to qualify to do the Olympics. I went on to be the youngest guy to commissaire Olympic Games uh, and uh, World Championships, which I did in Rockall in Belgium in the 75. Henny Kuiper won the road race. Who won the, and I was who sat won in the, the road car. race that year, sorry? Henny Kuiper. From? And Henny. Well, he was riding from the Netherlands. Do you not know Henny? No, I don't know Henny. Oh, Henny Kuiper, he finished second twice in the tour. He should have won it, but he didn't. Um, he became world champion in 75, and I was the commissaire behind him. And in 72, my very first milk race I organized, the Tour of Britain, he won that as well. So it was fantastic that I was, I was now judging him. I was sat next to Jan Janssen, who was his team manager. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I followed him over the line. It was a big, big thing for him and for me because he's a very nice guy. And he went on, he rode for TI Rally for some years afterwards and he finished second in the tour twice. And once he knocked his head on a rock and uh, knocked himself out of the tour when he was lying second. So that year he may have won it, we'll never know. Never yeah. So, so Henny and I uh, tightened up. So I got all this experience and... People just kept ringing me up, you know, the first time they wanted help, like the Tour Down Under, they contacted me now 21 years ago next January to um, to check out the routes and see what I thought of them and putting on this new race called the Tour Down Under. So they flew me out, flew me around the route in a helicopter, gave them all my five penny worth and flew me back. And that was in the August of 1998 because in 99 the race started and it's been an incredible success. And this this January is the twentieth edition. I've done every one. Wow! Yeah, yeah so that, I feel like I've done all twenty, but I obviously haven't. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, what a what a transition though. I remember doing it as um, yeah. part of uh, maybe health net back in the day, and then and then you know yeah. Now well, the most unlikely event to uh, the reason it was a success was everybody wanted it to be a success. You had no no permissions problem because the government was backing it. The police were backing it. 
there was no losers so it could not fail all they wanted was the expertise to sell it and and they got it and it went um, i mean they even got a bloody track cyclist to organize it in, in mike turter <laughs> who never rode a road race in his life he probably did but i didn't know him riding one and, and mike is has become a great tour down under director it's a it's a great race and i think as you know speaking as a professional it's um you know it's early season it's uh it's nice it's weather. perfect now yeah it's nice but in weather. the in the beginning though back in that first january of 99 uh they were frightened to death the riders wouldn't come because notorious adelaide hot weather a long way from the season starting they're not really getting themselves in any sort of shape so they kept the course they kept away from the hills they, and its big sell point is it's a star race, always going back to the Hilton Hotel every day. So it's not packing your bags and moving around the so state. Nice. So nice. Uh, it? And it, so and it nice. worked. It absolutely worked. And um, it's gone from strength to strength. And I remember Stuart O'Grady saying to me as he stood in Rundle Mall, um, when that was where we had the first team presentation on the day before the race started, saying, I can't believe Eric Zarbel is coming out of that shop over there with a plastic bag full of presents for his kids back home. Um, and he's here, he's riding the race in Australia. Stewie was just completely mesmerized and he became a very good ambassador for that race. Of course, he won that year too. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a fantastic race. And and uh, yeah, like I said, speaking as a pro, it was the distance, okay, super, super hot. We all, we all yeah. know that, we all understand that, but it was just, we're in one hotel, didn't have to move for a week or so. And we're not doing 180, 200 kilometers a day. You know, you still get the same result after 130, 140 exactly. kilometers. So it was, it's just the perfect preparation. It, it, it's perfect. No, they hit it on the spot and it was, it was born to be successful. That was the great thing about it. So I, I enjoy doing that for the last 20 years. I'll be back again in January, I suppose. You're heading back. You'll miss me. If you give me another visa, you'll miss me on the uh, presentation stage, obviously. But uh, I will definitely. Yeah, I'm sure you'll get. Well, why don't you come along and be an official now? (laughs) Maybe they're writing blogs. You never know. Yes, you never know. (laughs) I'm gonna do a podcast there or something. I mean, you're you obviously you've actually stopped. So why in Boulder? So you live in there? Yeah. So I'm here now. Um, I just signed a contract with USA Cycling to. Help, okay. Help develop their their track oh, Olympic program. Their there's basically uh, Operation Twenty Twenty. So. Um, oh, excellent. Yeah. So, so you'll be working alongside Sutter, will you? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's oh, that's excellent. So, yeah. Um, no, Lovely. It all, it all fell into place really nicely for me, and you know, it was. I'm not going to go into my. We're, we're here to talk about you, but um, you know, it was a, <laughs> it was a, it was a. It was a uh, you know, it was a plan in progress, which was, you know, yeah. set about two years ago. I wanted to do my last tour as a 40-year-old, and then I wanted to yep. ease into retirement. I didn't want to just stop cold turkey and, you know, because then, you know, I mean, I've heard so many stories of what happens to bike riders when they just sit, sit, exactly. around, sit around and scratch scratch their bums for an, for a year. So, um, no, I... Yeah, I feel I, totally I, lost. It's horrible. Yeah, so I had big plans, and... and one of my passions, obviously, is uh, is um, you know performance and how to how to get the best out of athletes and and communication to those athletes. So that's that was yes. a, it was a it was a plan a long term plan and it's it's really fallen into place and I think I've found uh, I found a really good home here. I used to use Boulder, as you probably know, as a 
as a training base before every tour yep. that I went to. So it's uh, it, it's like home. It's like home for for us. Well, I, I like Boulder. Is Katie with you there? Yeah, yeah. Boulder. Yep. So the oh, whole family's here. We've, we've all moved okay. over. We even got our green cards, mate. I'm just literally. I'm. I'm fed income, bloody fed income. I'm fed income yank. Bloody, oh my God! Well, you better start standing for president because there's, there's, <laughs> there's a job going there for you. <laughs> careful, mate. Careful. <laughs> I'll have heat seekers. I'll give on Katie me. my love. I will. I will do indeed. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Phil, that's Phil, excellent. Phil, I have something for you. I've got a lo- I got about a twenty-year thank you that's long overdue to you. Um, this was, so I was, I was in recent amateur here in the States and, uh, yeah. but I was still like down the ranks of an amateur and in, in 98, I got a chance to go be the mechanic for a small team based out of Boulder called oil me. And they did the tour of Britain, the pro it was the pro tour that year. And right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And I had really, I knew how to work on bikes a little bit, but it was definitely in over my head and all the big teams were there. I was starstruck left and right and of course i'm washing bikes for about four to five hours after everyone has done washing their bikes so one day i go in we're probably five days into this into the tour and i'm eating dinner yeah. alone and you and paul sherwin rolled on in and said hey you mind if we sit down and have dinner with you and I, I, was, oh, wow. I was absolutely speechless. So you guys, ever since then, every time I see you on TV and hear you commentate, I, I always sort of go back to there with me as a, as just a young kid. Bloody hell, the old Pruto. Yeah, I was just a young kid and you guys just absolutely made, it was great being part you of the tour. You must have been but late because we trip. always ate late dinners because we were left voicing the program after the race finished. So we, we always had a late dinner and that must have been what we'd done. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. You guys just came wow. and s- sat with me uninvited, and uh, you definitely you uh, made an impression <laughs> till then. So, uh, long overdue thank you. So, I really appreciated that. Brilliant. Oh, excellent. So, wow. uh, Phil, what what what's up next? What do you? What's the plans? What are we? What are we doing well, next? Well, um, uh, next, uh, I'm going to South Africa, because, <clears throat> which is in two weeks' time. I'm going to my farm. I've got a farm there, which is, uh, and I get very involved in trying to save the rhino with these poachers because they're, they're going a long way to eliminating the animal in the wild. So um, I'm patron of an organization called Helping Rhinos. Right. And uh, you can check it out on the website. It's called helpingrhinos.org, O-R-G. And you can, you can learn all about that there, Greg. Right. But um, I do a lot of charity work for, the, for that group now. And while I'm, I'm actually there on holiday, but I, I get involved with all the people trying to catch poachers and things and so that'll that'll keep me busy until december because uh i don't do much in 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 that sort of that this time of the year now now i'll come back briefly and then fly to australia and do all the aussie races well the bay classics is non unfortunately next year but i'll do the nationals um the cadell evans the tour down under and the Herald sun tour and then i'll fly back and then it's already into march then so life begins again Away we go again, um, straight back into the season. Yeah, yeah. But my first race for TV will be for uh, the Tour de Croatia. Will be my first race this year, next year, and then the, then Paris. Oh no, Paris Roubaix Tour de Croatia, and then the Tour of uh, Amgen Tour of California. You... Uh, and then I just, uh, I mean, I, I'm not slowing down, but I, I guess I am. But I keep on doing things. I never say no. That's the problem. 
Do you and, even have um, to prep for these races anymore, or did you stop prepping twenty five years ago? No, I prep. I've, I've even today. I've been checking out things like uh, checking on how many tours to France. Greg Henderson Road. I see it's five, <laughs> and uh, I check. I check every day. Um, I add all the results every day. I've even do all the transfers and start new files for next season as we see the tra- the guys changing teams and stuff. Um, it's just habit, really. First hour and a half of every day is rather boring, but I keep my notes up to date. And uh, and that's it. even when I'm in Africa, I do the same. Yeah, I always have. I like statistics and I like looking at them, so it's not too difficult. It's not really a, a trauma. It's about keeping um, things in order. It's about uh, you know a protocol yeah, and you, it's about structure. And I mean, I, I love the same thing. And that's I think that came through in my training and my racing is like. I always, yeah. I always loved to have a structure. I needed a race program that I knew that I could train around. So, yeah, it's just something you're born with, isn't it? It is, and I, and I love doing it, and um, and I like to know where everybody is. I like to look, look at the new guys coming through, you know. And the Americans have got some good youngsters coming through, and I, because I work primarily for NBC these days, I've got to, um, I've got to keep in touch with the American side of life, you know. That's what, that's what producer beyond to yeah, me starting to learn these young yeah guys. and yeah there's incredible talent there and then that's what uh there is that's what they're, d- they're d- doing now is is you know developing that uh talent pool for yeah you know, operation 2020 which is like you know 2020 and beyond you know there's, there's the talent's there there's well, no question i think i think that might be my the end of my career 2020 but i've, I've already been asked to do the olympics in tokyo so I've said yes, but as it asked me again nearer the time in case I've dropped dead, but so you never know, do you? Uh, so I, I won't sign a contract, but for their sake, not for my sake. Yeah, I just said, uh, just I said the answer is yes. It's only I'll do it only for you. It's for Channel Seven Australia. Oh, um, nice. I'll only do it for you, but um, but give me a call nearer the time just to make sure you still want to want to sign me up. You know. So uh, so back in the day. We used to have guys that could do uh, no problem, win the Giro, win the Tour, have a crack at the Vuelta España. Mm. Now, obviously, times have changed, and we just had one guy just win the Tour de France and the yeah. Vuelta España. Like, what's your thoughts on that? Like, that's to me, that's an incredible achievement. And I heard a rumor. I mean, oh. I don't know. I don't know. Rumors are rumors. I heard a rumor he came into the Tour de France slightly underdone because he knew he would get better as the Tour went on and then not mm-hmm. be as tired when the Tour finished. So then, then he could recover enough to then dominate the Vuelta. And I mean, it's just for me to see. Yeah. So many people have tried. It's just incredible. Look, I know Chris pretty well. Um, I'll actually be with him in December down in the snowies because we're doing that attack to tour together uh, in December. But I saw Chris in January at the Sun Tour. Um, basically, we were talking only about rhinos because Chris is very involved with the rhinos with me. Right. And, uh, but he said, I've seen the tour route, and he says, there's only one day I can attack. Uh, and he was clearly worried about it. So he didn't. he, he was expecting a very, very difficult tour. And I wasn't sure he was 100% confident he could win it. Um, so he was genuinely delighted when he when he won the tour, because he he'd, uh, he'd ridden so well, and so as his team, as as always is the case. But to go, he's the first guy to win the Welter in 
in its new date of September, August, September. So it's very close to the end of the tour. And the chances of pulling yourself around after the tour the tour he had uh, were remote. But Mate, he I has can a, tell he has you, a, like when, mm. when you finish the tour, like literally, you know, speaking, I'm mm. on my knees for three weeks, you know. Yeah. There's no question. Like, and okay, I've started the Walter just to help out maybe some of the younger guys for the sprints and, and whatnot, and then maybe as some yeah. preparation for the wheels. But to actually, to actually be on your game for like literally six weeks of your life in in you know to to win mm. overall, no, it's it's incredible. And the, the English press didn't make enough on it. You see, they don't see Chris as being a Brit. That's the problem. Right. Sports journalists don't see him as a Brit because he's brought up in South Africa and he's born in in Kenya in East Africa and and he's raced for, he lives in Monaco and he rides for his only relationship to Britain is he rides for Sky uh, and I think that's the only reason because I did a, a piece for talk sport here which is a radio station and that was the question of the of the DJ you know um, what what's what, what can you put into perspective exactly what he's done and I said, if he'd have been a footballer, you would have pinned this guy so high up the mast. Yeah. Um, but you don't know him. What he's done is unbelievable. You know, he won 19 red jerseys. And he's now taken his yellow jerseys to 59. <clears throat> he's gone from one marathon with a three-week break to another one. Yeah. And, and he goes and leads the other one from day four to the finish. It was an incredible achievement. Um, maybe his only way... I think... He won't ride the Giro next year because he want to. He want to join the Five Club if he can on the tour. But after that, I think he'd have to go for the treble, wouldn't he? There's nothing else left for his career. But he's getting a bit old now. So what do you mean getting a bit old? How how old? Well, he's 32. I think yeah. he is. Get, getting a bit old. Come on, mate. Easy. Mind you, I don't. I don't feel old, and I'm, I can give him three times his age. Well, not quite. Two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So yeah, you think that's definitely one of his major goals will be join the Five Club. I think it is. I think he wants to. I think he wants to do that personally. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know. He, he's a genuinely nice guy. He's generally surprised when it comes off. He knows he's got the ability, and he knows he's got all the numbers are all there for everybody to see. But I still think when you put it home and you've done it, because I think the tour and the welter this year were great races. The riders did attack and did go for him. And he, he was caught napping occasionally, but only lost a second or two. And he hammered it back in. The two very good one-on-one -on -one races which led me a long way to feeling that these guys weren't taking stuff because they were having bad days quite yeah, frequently. Oh, 100%, yeah. I totally agree yeah. with you. you so I was rather, it was a good race from that viewpoint. A couple of days where I think every single one of those those leaders of each team had a bad day. You, had a bad, you just never used to see yeah. that. Nobody sailed through, not once. No, no, not was, once. Was so then that's 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 a good indicator for me, I think. Yeah. And, and so then we move on. Just uh, our last little conversation is um, the worlds this year. How incredible was that? Yeah, yeah. Well, Sagan's something special. He, he's a the sport needs him. Um, he's just a lovely person. I know him. Not as well as I know Chris, but I asked him to do me a favour for a friend for a South African, eleven-year-old kid, I think he was, um, was to sign a cap, and he just immediately signed the cap, and and uh, I sent it off to the kid in South Africa from Australia this year, um, and I did some radio commercials 
just before the World Championships. I, I've just come back from Brisbane. I did some radio commercials in Brisbane for the Tour Down Under. And Sagan's going to be announced as going back to the Tour Down Under, you see. So I had to do two. I did uh, come to the Tour Down Under and welcome two times world champion Peter Sagan. <laughs> come to the Tour Down Under and welcome three times world champion Peter Sagan. And blow me, good job I did. Because it's the second one which they'll now play because he's got three titles. They don't start playing until November, you see. So that was a good piece of foresight, wasn't it? Oh, well. And he's, he's going to, Sagan's going to invent the five timers club for the world championship. Well, well, nothing would surprise the guy is he's such a great rider to watch, but he, you really didn't see him. And it wasn't helped by the fact it was very difficult to spot him in that national jersey, uh, in his in national colors, because that jersey is not very standoutish. And, uh, and he was hard to pick out. I don't think he got a single mention throughout the whole comedy till the sprint. What I saw on British television. Yeah. Mind you, the commentators weren't very good. <laughs> he was, uh, yeah, I think he just played one one card, you know. It was that. Uh, That's know, it, that, yeah. That sniper yeah. effect. It's like, right, I've got one chance of winning this. It's, this is how it's going to Yeah. Happen. This is how it has to happen. So I was in the in the follow car, actually, with the USA. And, um, you were there. You were yeah, looking man. Yeah, and it was uh, the course, fantastic course. It mm. would have been a hundred percent different race if we had the rain and the cold that uh, yes. that was normally predicted. But we had we had a beautiful day for bike racing. So um, no, ever since ever since they moved the worlds to that time of the year, I predicted a total disaster away from the heat of August uh, to go to the northern hemisphere. But, and they've been so darn lucky with the weather. We've never had the extremes. Uh, and they've always got away with it. And, uh, and this was no exception because Bergen looked a beautiful place uh, when the sun shines. It wouldn't look so nice if they started snowing. Yeah, exactly. And like there was days yeah. that we were there that it, it was drizzle, rain, dreary, grey skies. And, you know, a good mate of mine, Tony Galapan, you know, he was... Yeah, he, he was pissed. It wasn't raining, you know. He loves the wet and the cold, and he's just. <laughs> but of course, you know. He had a stuff. dig. Of course, yeah. He had a bit of a dig. He's yeah, and he was still there in the final as well. So, and then I uh, like Tony. And mm. then the the final there where they um, uh, they even de- it's almost like they designed that sprint for Christoph. I don't know if if you took much notice, but they took that last right hand corner. It's 300 yeah. to go, and that's about where Christoph normally opens the sprint, about 300, because he's got such a long sprint on him. And then it yeah. actually, the road would dip down about 3 or 4%, so that would actually give him, because he doesn't have a massive kick, you know, he doesn't have the gripal kick or the kittle kick, you know, but yeah. he can just yeah. go long, long, long. So anyway, it dips down, he turns the corner first, he dips down, he's got this gap, mm. and you're just thinking, oh, this is going to be fantastic for, for Norway, you know, a, a Norwegian winner. And then yeah. there's only one guy that could come close. And the icing on a bad season for him. Yeah, wow, exactly. Yeah. You know, he gets, I mean, but Gee. what what a race. It was incredible. And you just saw it develop, you know. It was like um, yeah, that four laps out. It was like a ramp test, you know, where they just got, you know, next minute doing 450 watts up the hill, next minute doing 500, next they're doing 550, you know. Like it just got yeah. faster and faster and faster. It was just... Uh, 
yeah, it was just amazing to watch from the from the car. And the, the only bit I missed was, uh, to be honest, the only bit I missed was being in that final. I enjoy. I love the sprint finals. You know, I love picking the right mm. side of the road and and where to be and 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 where to position. But uh, uh, what an incredible race! Well, I was pleased for Norway because they're very good organisers. Uh, the courses look good. It was a tough time trial, but then, you know, they probably haven't got flat roads around there. I wouldn't think. But I don't think. So it was, I think if it had been an out and back time trial, I think you still would have got the same winner. You know, I think it's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Was more of a spectacle than a, you know, than to to change the results of any kind. I think. Yeah. Dumoulin was just absolutely flying, which is great to see and a worthy winner. But it's just. Um, I think that was more of a spectacle going up that climb than anything else. And the British kid, Tom Pidcock, watch out for that kid. He's soaked in talent. Isn't he? Isn't he won, he? The, he won the junior race, but I mean, this year he won the junior world cyclocross at the start of the year. I was commentating on Paris Roubaix when the amateur kids, came, the juniors came onto the track. And I said, because I was live to NBC, I said, well, a British rider's won the junior Paris Roubaix, but I haven't a clue who he is. And I didn't. I hadn't had a start list or anything. And it was this kid, Tom Pidcock. He's 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 good. He's a, a real talent. I think he he's like the Eddie Merckx of young, you know. He's got this massive. So watch engine. out for him. Yeah, for sure. He's got he, yeah, he is, and he's got the brain, and he's got the approach. He knows exactly where he's going. I just hope they don't overuse him. But at the moment, he's doing it all on on enthusiasm, so he's happy to do it. But I mean, I'm pretty sure you've yeah. seen, uh, you know, as I have, and even you know, my sh short career compared to yourself, but. It's, mm. There's a lot more to being a good bike rider than just being able to push massive amounts of watts for a long time. You know, there's there's the, the oh, ability yes. to stay away from home for a long time, like no contact with family. You you um, stay on the straight and narrow. Exactly. For a long, there's so much more to being a professional bike rider, and I always try to relay that to the athletes that I look after. You must. It's you it's, must. There's so much like, oh mate, I can do this on threshold. I mean. That's fantastic, you know. That's that's box A ticked. We've got box A to box Z to tick, you know. Let's um, <laughs> yeah, you know, let's just start dealing with the rest. So, uh, if he's got those, well, Chris Bourbon in my case was the one guy when he came to the Tour de France and he beat Indurain in the prologue time trial in Lille by 15 seconds. Indurain finished second, 15 seconds, and I remember Laurent Fignon coming up to us afterwards. He said, "It's it's incredible." He said, "I just followed Bourbon." The whole way around the time trial, he never used his brakes on any of the corners and he pedaled through them. And and that was how he won. And I said, well, he's a great right rider, but he, he was never any good when he got to the road races. He just hadn't a bloody clue. And, of course, when we got to the mountains, first rider to be dropped on the climb was Chris Boardman. Now, that guy cannot be that bad when he's done what he's done on a bike. And it's because he looks at all his numbers and if the numbers don't work out, his brain shuts off. Yeah, he just can't do it. He just cannot do it. He has to look at numbers. He's a techno nerd, and that's what he's doing now. He's got a new company he's working alongside Wattbike in uh, in England here. He's opened a new factory. And, and great, but it has to all work out. He's got to see the figures in front of him. He can't. Paul said, Paul used to come up and say, yeah, one fucking day you're gonna to have to find out you've got to hurt yourself and fuck the numbers. Yeah, that's totally. what he used to say to him, you know. Totally. Yeah. So uh, Wigo was a little bit like that as well. He was like he could push the yes. numbers. He yes. Yes. And then all of a sudden he just thought exactly same same thing. One day, 
bugger this, I'm not going to um, either make it or I don't make it, you know, because there's no reason why he can push, you know, 500 watts for 10 minutes but not make it over mm. a 10-minute climb. So then he just became like this robot and, and then just he did the training. Yeah. The training was set. You do this, you do this, you do this. And you could see that Wigo's transformation mm. was just incredible. Yeah, it was. I'll tell you, he won the world, by the way, because he, he took his, the world hour record. He set himself 12-minute sections. So That's he had right. five 12-minute sections, and he planned what to do in those 12 minutes. And Heiko Salzweed will help him do that. Heiko's a good lad. Yeah, I remember. I, I remember. Yeah, yeah, I watched an interview on it. He said, just break it into five 12-minute five yeah. sections. And uh... it's, 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 uh, it's a disease because Trish has caught it, my wife now, because she trains on the turbos every other day. I don't. And she works in 12-minute segments because of that. <laughs> yeah, right. She does one hour, that's it. And she works in 12-minute sections. Oh, dear. Oh, it's yeah. just break, I... break it down mentally. and. Uh, you know, yeah, that's what it's all about, mentally, yeah. If you can keep that brain focused, it's um, you, can change your, yeah. you can change your life in, in yeah. cycling. That's sure. Change your life in sport, to be honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got my information now. You know how to get me, Greg. No, it's if great. You want to get me? Brilliant, mate. I but, really, um, I really appreciate the time. It's a pleasure. And uh, it was good to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm over here now with the family, and uh, you know, hopefully we can keep in touch. And we'll see so, is this a, this is it now for the foreseeable? Is you're staying in America for the next foreseeable, for, at least till yeah. the next Olympics for sure? Yeah. Right. Yep. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, Sherwin's been in Denver for about the last five or six weeks. Um, doing the, uh, he, he started off with the Colorado Classic. They couldn't afford me, they said. Uh, they didn't, uh, I didn't go. Um, then he switched to the... Stayed there for a week doing nothing. And then he did the whole of Welter all from a studio in Denver. And then, then he switched from that to the world. And now he's just gone home this uh, start of this week. But he was there for five weeks. Don't know how the hell he got. I must have gone stir crazy, but anyway, he was there. I met him actually at the Tour of Colorado. That was my last UCI race. I actually met him there, and oh, you met him at the Tour of Colorado, yeah, the classic. Had, had yeah, a good, had a good chat to him there. So, um, oh, good. Yeah. Oh, he should have told you he was in town. Well, uh, yeah. We'll have to get him up on the uh, on the podcast one day. Have a chat. Yeah. Well, I've got all his details when you want them. Great, mate. I really appreciate the yeah. uh, really appreciate the time, mate, and uh, I hope you enjoy your it's dinner. It's a party. great pleasure. Good luck with the new post, and I'm sure you'll get on well because you're working with. You have to work with an Aussie, but that's life, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all good, mate. Thank you very much. Oh, all the best, Greg. Okay, Chuck. See you again, mate. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. See you. Take care. Yes, there you have it. The one and only. The legend. The voice of cycling. 47 years at 74 years old. But he's, uh, yeah, the knowledge he has, you know, I mean, he's he's seen it all from, you know, from, like you said, the reason he didn't turn pro. Mate, I'm not in the same class as you, Eddie. Man, best thing that ever happened to him. Now he's, yeah, now he's like probably... Oh, I don't know, maybe not in Belgium, but in the world. Maybe more of an icon in cycling than Eddie Merckx. Is that, is that a fair call? I bet you more people know him... In the world. In the world. Yeah, than Eddie Merckx. Than Eddie Merckx, probably. Not, not in Belgium, not in 
probably not in Europe, but in the world. I think you're correct. Yeah. Now oh, that was really that was a really good conversation. I mean, like you said, he could he could have probably kept chatting all day. Yeah. Well, he started to interview you. <laughs> I don't think he meant to. I think he just started to flip the script on you because that's what he does. Yeah, exactly. No, really nice. And he's an encyclopedia. Oh yeah. Like I, I think he can just he just rattles off stats off the top of his head. You know, he is it's it's phenomenal. Super interesting that every day he starts his morning with just doing a little bit of research on what's happened in Europe, what's yeah. going on. That's yeah, that's what I was really curious. Yeah. You know, is because you figure he could just like jump into the Tour de France and start commentating, no problem. Exactly. He's seen that chateau a hundred times, you know. Let's yeah. that one. Yeah, been there. Just and I think that's all just gravy because he's doing all this real research before. That's and that's probably one of the reasons why he's so good. And he makes it look so easy. Yeah. It's because he does all the research and he just makes it look easy. That was great. Great. Thanks again, Phil. And uh, so, uh, yeah, what's up next? What's up next for us? The big man. The, the cottage of wattage. The cottage of wattage. We've got uh, one more interview for you guys next week, which will be, it'll be quite interesting. We just, we briefly touched on uh, some of his achievements, and it's not Chris Froome. It's a guy that rode 54, nearly 55 kilometres in one hour. So we're going to have a chat to the big man. So have a listen out next week, guys, to uh, Out of the Saddle podcast. And um, we'll catch you next week. Are you going to say who it is, or are we just going to leave everybody hanging? I reckon they'll guess who that is. Okay. Right, okay. Has this person been knighted or no? Uh, you could call him Sir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.